Hello everyone and welcome to Uninformed Handball Hour. Happy New Year. Happy World Championship time. It is, it's the best time of the year, isn't it? We're just days away from the start of the 2023 World Handball Championship in Sweden and Poland. And the Uninformed Handball Hour is going to be there with you every step of the way, if you want us to be. It's Chris O'Reilly here with Alex Kulesh. How are you, Chris? And Brian Campion. Hello, Chris. Hello, Alex. How are we doing, guys? I'm glad that there's going to be there's something out to look forward to because uh, I don't agree with your opening statement there. That's the best time of year. I think without <laughs> this handball tournament, this will be an absolutely dreadful time of the year. But it's good that we have 32 teams ready to battle it out in uh, Poland and Sweden now over the next few weeks, which is uh, a, it's a mammoth world championship. And there's a lot of teams to talk about. And we're going to do our best today to talk about all of them. Some might be a bit more shorter than others, but we'll uh, we'll see how it, see how it works out. <laughs> yes, indeed. We're going to preview the whole championship, and we're not going to squeeze it all into one podcast. We're going to break it up uh, into two. And uh, Alex, you've got some very exciting news for all of the fans. I do have some exciting news, Chris, and that is that after many many years and many podcasts, from the goodness of our hearts where we've brought the humble world commentary on every competition. We've been at the tournaments. We've talked to many guests and we've all, we've done that just because it's a passion project. We love handball so much and we want to share it with the world. All of you who are listening today, who've listened previously have helped us grow and enjoy doing this podcast, which we will continue to do for a long time. But it would help if, especially for this tournament, we, we could get something in return. And for that, uh, we've decided to launch a Patreon. So this is a subscription service for all of you who can uh, subscribe on a monthly basis. We have two tiers, um, the six meter club, which will be a six euro uh, a month, and the nine meter club. If you really, really love us, if you really appreciate all the great humble talk we've brought you over the years you can sign up for the nine meter club all of that will come with many fantastic podcasts throughout the championship so usually you know the world championship we we try to do as much as possible but there's a lot of games there's a lot of places and in general we're not able to go to the arenas all together but we want to change that and this time around we want to bring really really good content so this will be podcasts coming your way kind of every two or three days, ramping up through the competition. We'll be at the arena and hopefully uh, we'll also get together for finals weekend in Woo! Stockholm. And for that, it, it would help if some of our travel expenses were covered. Maybe Brian's hair care routine covered. Uh, <laughs> that, that would really help. So <laughs> I do implore you to... Uh, <laughs> sign up you can do that you can sign up for a month if you want to get the 
extra content. So we're going to be releasing exclusive podcasts on Patreon, ones that you won't be able to hear throughout the competition unless you sign up. We will, of course, bring you free ones like this throughout the competition, through the main stages of the competition as well. But if you want to chip in, get lots of extra podcasts and you know get involved it's a nice community as well when you get in there you'll be with be able to chat with us you'll be able to chat with other huge handball fans uh, around the world who are really interested in this competition so sign up join us you can quit after the first month you can quit straight away if you don't like it but uh, <laughs> Alex, i hope you stay around don't remind for, them they can do that <laughs> Uh, but if it, it's especially yes. for this world championship where we really wanted to do more than we've previously done we don't want to just do kind of three podcasts throughout the championship we want to bring you the type of coverage that we've done for the euros before where we're giving you guests we're speaking to players at the arenas and we're you know getting into the depth throughout the competition so um all of that will be on patreon so do join us. Um, it will be Uninformed Handball Hour at patreon.com. Uh, you can sign up um, anytime. Now the page is live. You'll also see links on all of our social media platforms. So Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook will all have a link to the Patreon. So um, if you've enjoyed us talking about handball for the last couple of years, I do uh, hope you sign up. Will the savage jokes be in the exclusive podcasts? That, that could be the nine meter club, Chris. <laughs> Sign up now and enjoy as much of us as possible over the next few weeks. What we were thinking, we'll just go through this group by group. As Brian said earlier, it's 32 teams uh, competing for the world championship in Sweden and Poland, divided into eight groups of four. The top three teams in each group go through to the main round, leaving just eight teams battling it out in the incredible president's cup which uh, maybe we'll do an exclusive podcast on the president's cup for example so if you like that stuff then uh, i don't know if that's a good advertisement for the uh, patreon or not <laughs> uh, we'll find out uh, the top three teams in each group go through to the main round uh, four main round groups of six and then the top two from each of those groups go into the quarterfinals. So we'll speak more about that as we reach it. So what's your feeling about this tournament before we kind of get in there? This is the second time we've been with 32 teams. Uh, the last one was in Egypt. That was a little bit of a weird occasion. It was, you know, during COVID, no fans in the arena. And in the end, it was a good competition. We had some really fun highlights throughout. But looking at these groups overall, you know, there are a lot of kind of very strange teams <laughs> competing. Uh, so what's, what's your thought on that? Is that going to be, is it going to be fun? For me, I think it's going to be fun seeing these teams battle it out. What about you guys? What's your first feeling on that? Uh, well, since we're not an official podcast of the IHF, I think we'll be, we can be as critical as we want here. But I, my gut feeling is it's always a little bit too much. I think... It can be entertaining, but as you said, Alex, there are some, how will I put it nicely, because we want all this Patreon money, so um, there are some lesser-known nations that are in the mix here, like the likes of uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia. And we have, we have seen, of course, in Saudi Arabia at a past World Championship as well. Cape Verde, Uruguay, South Korea, I mean, they could they could get a result. We, we know Algeria as well. The United States is probably the biggest one for us, an English-speaking nation finally in the, in the mix there. 
So it's it's exciting, but it feels like for me a little bit overkill when you have the group stage, then the main round system as well. It just feels a little bit overkill because I think the main round system, one of the biggest arguments for the main round system at the Euro is that you want the bigger teams to be able a chance. If they mess up, they have uh, they still have a chance that it's not all done and dusted. But where you have here weaker nations lobbed in with the with the big dogs and the main round system, it maybe does feel a little bit of an overkill for me personally. Well, also in the Euro, you have two teams go through the first round and then the main round. Here it's three teams going through, which means there will be weaker teams in the main round as well. We remember from two years ago, Uruguay, who got in because of Cape Verde's um, COVID situation after they got eliminated from the tournament basically after the first game because of covid cases and uruguay with a, a combined goal difference of minus 45 went through to the main round <laughs> so uh, that that kind of made a mockery of it i have a feeling though that you know the teams that were in the competition two years ago will hopefully have developed a fair bit since then and overall the level should be a bit higher we'll talk about uh, teams like the usa who you know they didn't get to play two years ago having uh, been given a place originally because of COVID again. Uh, I think they're in a much better situation than they were back then. So I think overall the the level should be a bit better than two years ago. It's it's really hard to say. I think everyone comes into it thinking they have a chance of the, the main round, which is good. Um, something to play for. And uh, I just hope there won't be any like, you know, 20 goal hammerings in the first round because that was a big criticism as well of the uh, previous women's world championship i can guarantee you there's going to be 20 goal hammerings in the first <laughs> round i, I can it, it's not about whether there will be some it's how many there will be after watching denmark uh, absolutely obliterate saudi arabia in, in the warm-up matches uh, that's led me to believe that there might be a few thrashings going on in this first round but at the same time three teams going through means that there's a lot of really high intensity high pressure games for teams that might not be kind of used to that so those lower level teams are going to play some kind of to the death matches it's you know win or go home matches that are going to happen in that first round with the weaker teams that and right away as well. Right away. So I mean, I think I think because the way they've set it up is like the first two ranked or first two seeded teams and the third and fourth seeded teams play each other in the very first round. So we see some like really high stakes games, not just for the race to the quarterfinals, but also the uh, the battle to stay alive. Oh yeah, I'm not sure about that. Usually, isn't it like it kind of ends on that and it kind of builds yeah. so that's usually a, a nice way to do it so uh, from the start <laughs> maybe that's why every single team has uh participated in quite a you know in these friendly matches that are have been quite competitive leading up to the tournament they're all getting ready to hit the ground running uh, chris you mentioned there about the usa not uh being able to play last time with all their COVID cases and i think it'd be a bit of a miss of us not to mention a I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't call it a controversy now online, but it has, there has been a bit of noise on, on Twitter from various various handball players, probably most notably Bjorgvin Gustafsson, the Icelandic goalkeeper, who is a bit outraged that, about these COVID restrictions. We won't go into it too, in too much detail, but what were your general takeaways of, of what was going on on the, on the tweet machine? Yeah, I think with Bjorgvin Paul Gustafsson, he was particularly pissed off 
last year at the European Championship because uh, if we remember Iceland, one of the teams that did so well despite being absolutely decimated by COVID cases and Gustafsson was one of the players who was kind of going like on the border of being brought back in to the squad and recovering you know Alex Kulesh knows this uh, as I, well I, as I anyone a CT, as he, value. <laughs> a CT values yeah uh, something we all learned a lot about uh, at the European Championship last year and I guess that he and many other people thought it wouldn't be wouldn't be an issue uh, at this championship also because of the the two home nations Sweden and Poland where I mean I can say for cert- uh, certainly in Sweden there's zero restrictions COVID isn't really uh, discussed anymore in kind of public health uh, terms and that you know they the players will be in hotels and in around the city freely uh, surrounded by people and also because the IHF are usually a bit more lackadaisical on these things in comparison to other governing bodies and other competitions uh, and I can say that for certainty as well from the last women's championship that it was uh, the COVID protocol was all bark and no bite maybe that's going to be the case here as well uh, we'll see but uh, I think yeah, it's mostly kind of fear that it's going to ruin teams' chances. And it, the anger came from Iceland, who, as we'll speak about, have a really good chance of making a big splash here. And they don't want things taken out of their hands like it was uh, with the COVID cases last time. So I think understandable mm-hmm. in a way. So should we get into Group A then? In Krakow, Group A, Spain, Montenegro, Chile and Iran. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I think this one is is fairly straightforward in terms of first, second, and third place, what do you think? Um, yeah, uh, I think Spain are the clear uh, favourite for this group. Um, Spain are a very interesting team because uh, I still, looking at the squad that was announced, I, I look at them and it's it's kind of refreshed again. Uh, and you're looking at this and like looking at the back players, okay, Daniel Dishbaev is going to end up playing really significant time in the backcourt. Canaeus has picked up a little injury, so we don't know what's going to happen. Alex Dushabayev is back in the fold, which is uh, really good for Spain because he is their talisman. He is their uh, one true leader and Mr. Clutch, as we've seen before. And then some new faces uh, like uh, Emmanuel Garcianda, who has uh, finally made the squad um, and an exciting young prospect, Daniel Fernandez, uh, who I'm looking forward to seeing if he if he can get some minutes. But you know, you look at the squad and you're like, ah, you know, well, what's they're not going to challenge. But then we can never <laughs> say that. No. And I guarantee you that they're going to win a medal. So <laughs> that's okay. That's it. <laughs> Straight away, I'm just nipping down the bud. I am not underestimating underestimating Spain I'm not saying that they're not going to do anything they are a formidable force they always are and they will be again and they're going to run through this group yeah they they have an amazing goalkeeper duo as well in uh, Gonzalo Perez de Vargas and uh, Rodrigo Corrales perhaps the best one at the championship or at least top three I don't want to say Denmark are probably the best, aren't they? Um, but one of the top top three pairings in the championship. Uh, but two guys who who can really turn a game. And I think uh, Corrales has never been in better shape as well in terms of his club form. Uh, so I think it's uh, an exciting time for them. The backcourt is a bit more refreshed. 
but yeah, on paper, it doesn't look super amazing. But they, they were a whisker away from winning the European Championship last year without Alex Dushabayev. So they there's no reason why they're not going to go super deep in this tournament as well. And uh, it's difficult to see where they're going to be troubled. Uh, Montenegro could give them trouble. They really overperformed at the Euro last year. Um, and again, looking on paper, it's difficult to see why they did that last year uh they did so well they got, the, like even in the main round were competing there's there's one one reason why they did so well and that is Naboisa's image and this man has been absolutely on fire this year in the Bundesliga as well for Mens- Melsingen he is uh, he's he's close to 40% on save rate in the Bundesliga that we're talking about here i think the last month uh, in December, he was pretty much averaging 15 saves. It, it he was just on fire, and in the last uh, championship, it was all him. That kind of he he somehow powers the team because he's one of those goalkeepers that not only is quite steady, but he makes those amazing saves. He really makes those out of nowhere, tide turning saves continuously, and that drives the team. So he's going to be the absolute key for them. Yeah, we remember all of his all of his massive celebrations from the last year as well. Not only does he have those tight turning saves, but he really gets everyone in the arena and the team is super hyped up. So his added value to that Montenegro team is is really something uh, quite incredible. I came. I was a very old. And I was say it's a a wise man once said to me years and years ago, Robert Ham. That uh, your goalkeeper is seventy percent of your or your defense. I mean, he's maybe been a bit generous with seventy percent, but when a goalkeeper is on fire like that, and the added value they can have to a team, they can take a, a an average team. It's fair to say, I think Montenegro average at the international level, and they can turn them into a team that then can compete with the likes of of Spain. But the problem is when they don't perform, you have the opposite, and they can then look very average. So he is absolute key for them. Um, also another uh, player to look out for there uh, Radojica Cepic who's just 20 years old who is playing for Wetzlar now he was really exciting as well for them uh, at the last championship so there's there's some really good players in there like um, also you have uh, Milos Vujovic Branko Vujovic the Vujovic's uh, are, are key for them as well but it's it's so difficult to know because you have those players who are like top players in the Bundesliga and then you have guys who are playing for clubs in Kuwait and Israel. So and it's, Korea. it's it's quite and it's quite a, it's quite a mix. And uh yeah, but it's it's mostly the same team I think from uh last year. So there's there's no reason why they can't uh do something. They probably should finish second in this group and make it through to the the main round. But there's arguably a bigger Montenegrin name in this group who has nothing to do with Montenegro. It's Iran's coach, Veselin Vujovic. What a segue. That's why you're here, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a what a signing. Veselin Vujovic is back in Iranian form. I don't know how this happened, but it could be a match made in heaven. It's a three-month contract. Oh, un- undoubtedly. <laughs> I just—he's such an angry man, and like he has such high expectations of his teams that I can just imagine him 
slowly descending into absolute chaos as Iran are being hockeyed by uh, probably someone like Montenegro. We're not even going to talk about Spain here. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. You, you know, Iran are generally speaking, like they're technically decent. They've produced some good players over the years, um, but uh, and, and very physical as well. That's something I was. Uh, remember from seeing Iranian players I don't know it's hard I don't really know much about the team uh, they have some players playing in Romania but I think none of them have been chosen for the squad uh, I think there's only one player who is based outside of Iran in the uh, team and I'm going to try and uh, pronounce the name now is it uh, Pauya Nauru Zinayad yes the, 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 yes. the Eintracht Hagen legend <laughs> that's it <laughs> well he he's uh, he's a playmaker who's who's played at Gummersbach uh, Severhof and Göppingen so he, he has some skills uh, that's for sure uh, very short spells at all of those teams uh, I don't know why but uh, besides that I don't really know much about this team and um, we may not get to know much about them because uh, they have to beat Chile to stay alive and Chile uh, have a bit of experience in this competition Chile are really interesting because I think they just, they haven't progressed past their golden generation. But you still have the three Folkman brothers, uh, Emil at 39, Ervin, who is the record gold scorer, 32, and uh, Harold, who's 35. They're still all in the squad. Um you know, looking at the squad, you see the familiar names, the Salinas brothers in there as well. And there's just kind of a real, there's a bunch of players around that 30 to 35 to 40 age bracket who've been around forever. And then you have a bunch of kind of 20 to 23 year olds who, uh, some of which are still playing in Chile, uh, some in Spain, but none of which are I've heard of or expect to make an impact. So you're just going to have this quite experienced team who's getting quite old playing with kind of eight players. It's it's going to be the classic world championship and it's going to suit them that they're going to be playing Iran in that first game because all of those eight 35-year-old players are going to be fresh. They're going to be ready. And they might get a result, but as the tournament goes on, I, I expect them to just wilt. I, I don't see kind of the new generation there to take it off. That's why I think in maybe mm. 10 years we're doing, we're doing uh, a preview and we'll still be talking about the Feuchtman brothers uh, in the Chilean team <laughs> pushing the age of 50 and uh, and 42. <laughs> well, to be fair, Ervin Feuchtman, he, he's 32 and he wasn't he in the French League uh, All-Star team last season with Phoenix Toulouse? So he he's genuine. Oh no, he's a, yeah, yes. But it, I was talking about more his brother Emil, who's thirty nine now. And they they do have a few uh, young players in there. Who knows what their uh, ability is, though? Uh, you know, players playing in Italy and Czech Republic. Um, yeah, doesn't spark too much uh, excitement in there. But they should have enough, I guess, to to make it through the uh, to the main round. And yeah, good for them that they. They face Iran next. So it seems like there's a fair bit of, like, there's a fair gap between first, second, third, and fourth in everyone's mind here. It's pretty set in stone. Yeah, there's a big gap 
between first and second, then a big gap between uh, second and third and fourth. You agree, Brian? I do agree. Yes. It'll be Spain, Montenegro, Chile, and then Iran. Okay, Group B then in Katowice. Uh, we have France, Poland, Saudi Arabia, and Slovenia. A little bit more tasty here, but I think we know we all know the three teams that are going to qualify. But in what order will they qualify? That's the big question. Yeah, very true. And again, I do. A lot of people hate the main round uh, format. I, I like it as well because there's only a certain amount of teams that do get through that uh, main round. And these matches between France, Poland and Slovenia are going to be important straight away. The team that finishes third in this group is going to struggle to get anywhere further. And I think all three teams are going to have expectations of going further. Um, Poland, for me, are very interesting. They're hosts. They're a team that I think maybe people expected to kind of step up a little bit more. This kind of next generation coming in, they haven't performed at the previous championships quite as well uh, as they probably hoped in preparations for this World Championship, but I like the team. I like the team. I think the big loss is Kamil Shipchak on the line. Um, they are going to struggle. That's a disaster. You know, he, he has been one of the stars of the year, really. And yeah. for a home championship, he picks up a little stupid injury just before. Um, what is the injury? Oh, it's, it's like an ankle ligament damage, but he is out of the... It's It's something that basically... He's going to be playing the first club game after World Championship, but he's not going to participate in the World Championship. And it's just so unfortunate because he has been a real revelation. But other other than him, you know, Simon Sichko has been fantastic for Kielsa this year. He's been a real star. He's kind of, he's claimed that left-back position and is a fantastic shooter. Um, they have the Gabalo brothers, um, yeah, Maciek, who's going to be quite important uh, to fill in for Shipjack on the line. And I think a lot falls on Elenicek, who also uh, picked up an injury in one of the preview matches. But uh, he is hoping to kind of get in to the start of the tournament, pretty much. And of course, uh, Sichko, do have to mention that he had that horrible uh, fall or a fall that was forced by another dirty player uh, and um, it ended up with um, a pretty significant head trauma which he has recovered from and has played since so it's good hopefully he's at his best in the tournament but what 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 do you think about Poland do you think that this home crowd this home support this kind of expectation is going to help them or hinder them as we've seen many times I was looking at this group and I was having very nice memories of the EHF Euro 2016 when France and Poland were also in the same group and also Poland had this whole home um, advantage. And Poland went on to win that group. And in the last game, you remember that last game of the, the group phase, Poland beat France 31-25. And it was a, it was a huge shock at the time. And I remember... I remember all the reactions on social media to it. I wasn't there in person, unfortunately, but it was a it was a huge, a uh, huge shock. And the this Poland team, I think, can really absorb this home ground. Going on the evidence of 2016 as well. I mean, Chris, you were there. You'll you'll remember very very clearly what it was like. I think it was one of the most entertaining 
um, Euros in memory, apart from one of the, wor- the worst finals in memory. But everything, <laughs> everything up until that yeah. point was was incredible. So I'm really looking forward to the 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 Polish side of of this whole competition, and especially then Group B. And yeah, I wouldn't put it past Poland at all to do something similar again. I think uh, it's the Polish Polish people are very proud people, and I think it gives them an extra boost going into games, and they've done it in the re- in recent history against France. So why not again for Poland? I think they gave hints at the Euro last year that they are a team that can can make a bit of an impact. Before that, uh, it was looking a bit dire for them. You know they. Uh, they had qualified for the previous championship by the skin of their teeth. They missed out on a couple of championships before that. The The rebuilding of the squad really wasn't going to plan. But now they look like they have a, a fairly solid team. I mean, it's not there's not too many world beaters in there. Sitchko is fantastic. Shipshack is out. Like we said, he would have made a huge difference for the team. But it may actually be a good thing in a way that they can focus on a on a line player who doesn't uh, need to come in on the attack like uh, Shipshack does because they have some very strong defenders in there. Um, really decent goalkeeper pairing as well with Moravsky and Kornetsky, Płock and Kielce, uh represented with those goalkeepers. I think that's a that's a nice pair. Uh, the depth might be a little bit of a problem for them from what I remember as well seeing last year at the Moravsky's Melsungen. Uh, oh, Mel- oh, he moved from he moved yeah, from, he moved from uh, Płock to Melsungen, right? And has been very good in Bundesliga this year. Still, still represents Płock, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> <laughs> in the same way, in the same way that uh, Shipshack still represents Płock <laughs> in their fans' eyes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's a solid goalkeeper pairing, uh, which is really important for them. And yeah, you know, someone like Olenicek, uh, if he is fit enough to play, it feels like a almost maybe kind of a make or break moment or championship for him. He's been, a lot of people have been waiting a long time for him to do something and he gets sweaty hands when he plays for Poland. Usually every time I've seen him, but he, this he, time he needs to stand up for them. He hasn't got a chance at Kielsa, which has been mm. really disappointing for me um, this season. Uh, obviously they've brought in kind of Remeli and they have uh, Alex Dishbaev. They're, they're sharing this playmaker spot that takes time out of Olenicek but I was really hoping to see more of him this season because I do remember uh, the Euros and uh, the last Euros and Olenicek really impressed me he really ran the show it wasn't you know at at the highest level they they finished 12th I think but it Hmm. was um, you could just see the talent there and I just haven't seen him since (laughs) and that's just been a real pity and um, I, I I'm surprised that basically Kielsa haven't pushed him through, but maybe he just hasn't been just good enough. Sitchko has been good enough. He claimed that spot, that left-back spot in the Kielsa team. Alainjek hasn't been able to, but I still think that it's a talented team and I, I see them... Yeah, I, I, oh, what do I see them? I don't know what I see them. Let's talk about the other teams. Um, <laughs> talk about talking about Kielsa there. So we'll stick to that for the moment. Uh, three uh, French players who are playing for Kielsa. We have Nadim Remeli, Dilnahi, and Antoine. Of course, Antoine as well. Would you be worried, Alex? Yeah, I mean you're a big Kielsa fan as well. Uh, would you be worried about Remeli's form, going uh, club form, going into an international competition like this? We've seen. The French team starts slow before, but they they can really grow into the competition that maybe this would be a good thing for him 
to kind of break that rhythm as well. I have been worried about uh, Remedy's form, but I do think he is almost a different player in France. He's very comfortable. Um, I think he ha- I have he hasn't looked comfortable yet in Kielsa. That's understandable. He hasn't been there uh, that long at all. But he does feel like at home with that French team. But a lot of pressure, I think, lies on him uh, in that playmaker position that he's now claimed for. You know, he was dis- he discovered that position for himself in the French team, and he's going to be the main playmaker for France and. A France team that, that is riddled with injuries, especially on the left side. Um, Kylian Villemont uh, got an injury just before the, um, the championship, which is a real pity because he's been tearing it up uh, this year for Montpellier. And guess Angasson, who um, is our Mr. Steady, uh, he's kind of a big loss and a big loss in defence. Carl uh, Conan, a real revelation from the last championship. He's going to be out and Amory Mean, who hasn't recovered from his injury, which is really unfortunate because, again, he could have taken on that uh, playmaking need that France have. And I just, you know, a, a lot of pressure now lies with Nikola Karabatic again. Like 38 year old Nikola Karabatic is going to be playing some serious minutes in this championship. By the way, just how mad is it that? Remy Lee is like listed everywhere as center back in the for this squad not yeah. even like a right back who's going to be put in there they're like no no we have DKMM we have Melvin Richardson Remy Lee is a center back and uh, which is quite interesting to see a left-hander being put there but they do ha- also have Kanto Mahé who I think uh, for France always seems, or in recent years always performs well and uh, what I'm really excited to see Karabatic may play a lot of minutes, but if uh, Thibaut Brie and Elohim Prandi get off to a good start as the left-backs, they may just run the whole show. And I think Brie has been so good this season for Nantes. I'm really hoping he transfers that to the national team. But I think there is a lot of pressure on Brie because not only in that uh, slightly vacant left-back position, but in defence. I wouldn't be surprised if he is even played as a defensive specialist at times. Uh, although I expect um, uh, Luka Karabatic to, to be that more of a dis- defensive specialist in this tournament because Turna has been lighting it up. He, uh, I think in the two games that they had uh, coming into the championship against Egypt and Netherlands, he scored 15 goals from 16 shots. Um, so he's really an offensive force. So they're going to need someone to come in defensively. And Fabregas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just that, that, oh, that, that, that um, little player from uh, Barcelona. Uh, but the, this is the thing. I mean, all the players they're missing, but they still have so many, so many players. And not all of them are who you maybe consider to be the first choice for the team, but would be first choice players for the vast majority of the rest of the teams in this competition. Uh, so I think France are in a very good spot here despite mm. all of the injuries goalkeeper position brian is it still a a worry no i think they're gonna be fine i think our, my best friend um he's very hot and cold but I, he, he likes an old world championship so i'll i'll fa- i'll fa- i'll pick him for i'll tip him for a, a, one of his more solid performances just gonna ask you about uh prandy because i think he is a player who is actually primed for an absolutely massive championship he's gonna offensively he's going to take that left back position do you think 
he's ready to step up um, in this championship? Um, I, I hope he does because I feel like he's one of those players where you feel like at 24 years of age, uh, 24 years old, that he is one of the guys who needs to step up, I think, at this stage. Of course, he had that dreadful situation where he was uh, stabbed and he's, it took him a while to come back from that, but he is back now and I would like to, he's one player which I'd like to see him uh, perform well. He, he has a bit of a reputation of just being a bit of a hot shot and not use his head in, in the right moments, but I think he could be a huge asset for this. I mean, he needs to be if France are going to get to the get to the semi-final and final. He'll need to be one of those players that 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 uh, plays well. well. The the third seeded team in this group is Saudi Arabia. And you talked, yeah, you you you, you talked earlier <laughs> about Vesel and Vujovic, and we have our own little version of that with Saudi Arabia in uh, a, a man who's a former uh, Denmark, Denmark coach. Uh, G or GOG whatever you like to say it Vardar Odensee and now Saudi Arabia with Jan Pitlick so a bit of a strange one there as well mm. um, money talks that's all I'll say the money does talk uh, <laughs> and it, it's funny because I, I think I vaguely remember when when he was announced as the coach that like in Danish media there was a bit of backlash and like because of you know sports washing all of this and then Denmark go and play two games against Saudi Arabia before the championship <laughs> which uh... apparently the reasoning behind why they played Saudi Arabia is because they're playing two teams uh in, in the group from um kind of the same region or at least it, it, they that play against each other once in a while in, in Bahrain and Tunisia but it's it's definitely because mm. of a, a bit of cash that's that fell on the floor but can you guys guess the the score at half time between Denmark and Saudi Arabia in the first match that they played oh I think I think I've seen this uh was it 25-4 it's 25-5 ah <laughs> Uh, close. Oh. Uh, well, <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> oh dear! There's a full <laughs> arena of oh, this dear. is this is in Denmark. There's you know ten thousand people watching this. Just I don't know what you do. When you're watching that. Like, I'd say there's all doing side bets of like who's going to score the next goal or is it going to go through oh, the legs God. or in the top left corner. I know, Alex. So we got in all serious, Alex. Go on. Give us who's who's your favorite Saudi Arabian player. Go on. And um, why? <laughs> Um, so like I, I like the, I like the Mukhtar, Mukhtar players. Uh, they they really um, hmm. actually Mukhtar played pretty well in the um, Super Globe. You know they they showed a bit of something. Um, but I think for me, yeah, the the player that has to stand <laughs> is um, uh, Abdullah Al Hamad. He was actually an Al Nur player, uh, but he's got 90, 94 appearances, uh, 116 goals. I, he's thirty-two, but uh, I think he's got something in him. Well, he's got a he's got an average of one point two goals per game. Yes, he does. <laughs> and he might not get ahead I, of. I've uh, got a better <laughs> average than he does <laughs> at international level. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, okay. Uh, but th to be fair, you know, the, most of the players in the Saudi Arabia team come from um, those two clubs, Al Noor and Mukhtar. Mm. And both of those teams looked decent in the Super Globe. That's the only 
time that I, I, I know of any Saudi Arabian players playing. Um, they looked okay, of course. Um, they had some ringers come in, uh, like Hassan Kada, uh, who we'll get to later. But, yeah, I, I think in another group, they, they could have had a chance. They finished third uh, in the Asian Championships, uh, beating Iran in the third place playoff. But in this group, they're just going to get destroyed. Yeah. It's going to be... It's not going to be pretty. Uh, to put things in context, uh, last month they uh, had a test match against a Swedish club team. This is the the level they're preparing at, and uh, I think that says a lot. They live in the Presidents Cup, and uh, they there will they continue. I think uh, Slovenia. I think it's uh, Slovenia for me are becoming a little bit like France in rugby. The, the, what, what you think of France and rugby over the over the years, you're never quite sure which Slovenia team is going to show up. They can either be like proper semi-final contenders or like elimination very early on. And I think this year is another great example of that. I'm excited for the big revelation of this year's Champions League, uh, which is Alex Vla uh, coming in. He is he is a playmaker. And that's where he's kind of played for Celia, but he he it is he does wander over to the left side as well. Um, but he's a shooter. You know, Slovenia has needed a shooter for so many years. So many years we've been watching Machkovšek being the only tall player on this Slovenian team, and just being forced. He's just like, okay, now it's time for you to shoot. You're the only one who can actually get this defense to step out, and. You know, I like Mashkovshek, but he's not a world beater. I think Alex Fla has the potential, out of nowhere, really, uh, a late bloomer in in all senses of the word. Um, he can be a real game changer for them because they're not going to rely on their uh, smaller playmakers just moving the ball static, trying to get it to the line. I think he can be a spark for them. I think they probably need that as well because it is this, that core group that they've had for so long with the like of uh, Blazians, uh, Bombach, Blagotinsek have been knocking about for a long time now and they really haven't had someone uh, someone fresh to come in. Not, not necessarily young, as you said, Alex. He is 25, Alex Vla. He's like Hamble's own uh, Marty Fish from tennis. A bit of a late bloomer there. Um <laughs> But uh, well, that's just an amazing years. reference. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's worth it. That's worth a nine year um, alone. Yeah, I think. But <laughs> oh yeah, we'll just put we'll block that part off and just say if this this uh, quote is behind a paywall. Um, and Oris Orman as a coach as well. He's a man with 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 high standards, and I wouldn't like to necessarily play from. But he is going to probably demand a lot for this team. And yeah, who knows? As you said, Chris, it's really, 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 really difficult to know. They will make it out of the group. That's all I do know. You said about Vlad being a, a kind of centre back, but that's that's kind of how he's worked with Celia as well. It's been a couple of centre backs in there, and they take turns between being in the centre and being at left back. So I'm pretty sure um, Domin Makuts, uh, Dan Bombach, and he will be happy to rotate between the left and centre back positions. And then you have someone like uh, Blas Jans and occasionally Euro Dolonets who's still still plugging away uh, to take the penalties. And uh, it's all of a sudden it's a it's a decent backcourt. Um, 
yeah, the goalkeepers, I'm not too sure about. Uh, Gaspar Margic is out, which is a real pity for them as well. But they, they could have a decent championship. Uh, I think the game against Poland is going to be massive for them to see if they have a chance uh, of, of doing something here uh, beyond the, the first round. I'm, I'm going for a hot take prediction straight away with this group. I'm saying that Poland are going to beat mm-hmm. Slovenia. But Slovenia are going to beat France. And then... They're all going to beat each other uh, and take uh, two points away from the main round. Okay, the main there you go. All right, Group C, then on to your town of residence. I almost yep. said hometown there, but it's not your hometown. Göteborg, uh, with Sweden, Brazil, Cape Verde, which is a team which is Rasmus Boysen's hot pick for the tournament. Uh, the and uh, Hot Uruguay pick to do what? As well. I don't want to watch. Yeah, one to watch. One to watch for sure. Uh, Yeah, I'm looking forward to being at home, like uh, for a championship. It's going to be interesting. Taking the bus to the arena and commentating from uh, the lovely Scandinavium, where handball fever is well and truly hitting Gothenburg in Sweden, particularly after winning the Euro last year, and uh, everyone expecting Sweden to go very deep, maybe all the way to gold. I think they're going to have quite an easy time in the preliminary round, that's for sure. Uh, they face the toughest opponent uh, on paper, Brazil, first. It, there was a lot of shit thrown at Brazil uh, for the first half performance against the USA in Norway a couple of days ago. They did get better as the... Um, yeah, Brazil did get better as the, the weekend went on. And I was watching their game against Portugal uh, on Sunday evening. And they looked okay. I mean, they, they were down for pretty much the whole game. They lost in the end, but they made a couple of decent comebacks. Uh, for Brazil, Haniel Langaro, that, that injury for for him is a complete nightmare for Brazil because he is, he, again... Again, like it's a, it's a second championship in a row where he gets injured just before. It's a real pity. And he's right in his peak uh, as a player. And I think this Brazilian team absolutely needs him. Um, you're just going to have Leandro Dutra taking well, 15 shots. Yes. <laughs> also, Rogério Moraes is out as well. Another like just nightmare for them. But uh, a player who I really like the look of uh, against Portugal was 19-year-old uh, Hugo Monte, who uh, plays for Pinheiros in Brazil. And he scored the most ridiculous goal uh, against Portugal, where he, ba- he from the right-back position, uh, took a jump from about 11 meters out, floated, 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 waited for three defenders to jump, bounced the ball. Uh, but one of those situations where you bounce it so close to the line that you're kind of like tripping over the line. And so he flings it underneath, like he flings it upwards uh, from the ground towards the goal and scored. It was uh, perhaps the best goal of the whole uh, weekend in Norway. Uh, he's just 19 year- years of age and could get a lot of playing time now that uh, Langaro is out. I think he wasn't even in the squad uh, before. So, yeah, it could be a, a, a shining light for them. Uh, for Brazil, they they did look better as the weekend went on, but uh, clear second favourites in this group. Uh, but Sweden are going to hammer everyone, I think. Uh, I don't know if we want to talk more about Sweden now already. Alex, you're you were a huge fan of them for the last couple of years. Basically, you've predicted them to win every championship. It came off last time. Will it happen again? Are you predicting them this time to go all the way? They're going to be there. They're going to be in the semi-finals. Um, they're just, they're a very good team. They have 
a full squad. Uh, I think just Carl Villanius has uh, picked up an injury, so he'll be out. But I don't, don't think he is um, their number one uh, left back anyway. They just have such a nice squad, and uh, you know, I've I've talked about Eric Johansson for uh, many a podcast, and I'll, I'll mention him again. Just uh, I, he is back from injury, and he's going to be really good in this competition. I think he might take on a slightly more elevated role in this Swedish team um, and help out Ian Gottfriedsson. I think for the last couple of championships we just talked about Ian Gottfriedsson, Gottfriedsson's going to run the show, Gottfriedsson's going to do everything. I think Sweden with um, Johansson do have a player that can take a bit of pressure off Gottfriedsson. But on the kind of vice versa of that, uh, Gottfriedsson hasn't been at his best uh, and I think he can bring an extra level anytime but just over the last while he I feel like he's uh, since the the championship win I think he's just been a little bit on autopilot and, I, and I'm really emphasizing here because he's still been fantastic but we've seen Flensburg struggle kind of across the board and um, a lot of that does come down to him not just not being the absolute best version of himself. I think he can bring it. Uh, that would be my question mark for, you know, for the gold conversation, because that's that's what we're going to talk about with Sweden. It's not, you know, not it's not this group, and it's not the game against... <laughs> really make... Well, Gofferson was fantastic in the, the game Flensburg with Keelan, which was really came out of the blue uh, just, just before the end of the year. But what do you make of them, Brian? Um, yeah, I mean, I saw them in the Euro Cup as well, live in person there, only recently enough, and when they beat Denmark, and they they were they were impressive. But I w- I would kind of mirror a little bit what Alex said there. It did seem like Jim was maybe slightly on the on the tired side. But if any man can get up to play for Sweden at a, at a, a final event, it's going to be him. And it would be also interesting to see how someone like Felix Klar plays because Felix Klar has been a little bit off the boil on club level. I think it's fair to say, and it could be a similar situation like him and Remily with France, where he might need this to kind of get him back in in good form again and get him flying on all cylinders. If Jim isn't playing um, at the highest level, you need to, you would need someone like him to maybe come in and centre back as well and and perform. So it's going to be interesting to see there. But overall, a really as 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 Alex says, a really really nice team. Um, and very yeah. likable players as well. <laughs> I know I said that about a lot of things, but just just, and, just well, nice one of the guys, one of the nicest know? ones is is one of the big changes to a team that's pretty much the same, and that's Mikael Appelgren has come in uh, after such disastrous couple of years he's had with injuries. The, the worst injury luck. The uh, it's so impressive that uh, he's come back. He you know he was quite uh, just following him on Instagram. He's been just incredibly positive throughout the last couple of years where he's barely played any handball and great to see him back and great to see him just you know go straight back in um, yeah big call to to bring him straight in and him and Andreas Palika uh, as a goalkeeper pair a few years ago they would have been considered the best at a championship and uh, maybe we'll see them uh, put together a series of performances to put them back in there Uh, another Mikael Appelgren has come into the team and that's the assistant coach uh, because uh, one of the assistant coach who helped them win the Euro last year, Martin Boakvist, left 
Now he's Norway's assistant coach and Mikkel Appelgren, who uh, was the former Elverum coach, uh, as they made their break into the Champions League. And now he's the Saverhof coach. He's the new assistant coach, which I think is quite interesting. Um, one other thing on uh, the guy who replaced Carvalinius, who I've really liked the look of, is Ola Forsell Sheffert from Reiner Kaluven, uh, who is a left back and centre back, also plays a lot of defence for them. So he can also play quite a bit in centre. He's very, uh, very safe pair of hands uh, and a player who makes the right decisions. Uh, he's not going to always take on the shot, but uh, good for him that he's in the team. I think 29 years of age and he's getting his his uh, debut at a championship. So uh, really, he's a real late bloomer in that sense and, and great for him. Mm. Interesting choice. And I think that... That says a lot about um, Glenn Solberg because he has always gone his own way with players. You know, Andy Nielsen is still not in the squad. Um, and Lucas Nielsen was a player that people thought would come in for Carvalinius, but he went for Forsell Shefford uh, instead. But uh, what I'm really looking forward to, in the first game I'm commentating on at this World Championship, <laughs> on Thursday evening... Cape Verde against Uruguay. They've never faced each other on the court, but this is a huge revenge match. Do you know why? I mentioned it at the start of the podcast. Because Cape, Cape Verde uh, weren't able to play, or they basically they, they yeah. played a game in the last World Championship, but then got more cases of COVID and had to drop out, and that's when Uruguay got through and got absolutely slapped in the main round for uh, exactly so even (laughs) and provided us with some of the greatest handball comedy we have ever Mm. witnessed (laughs) from geronimo forgetting the the rules of handball to the the greatest moment where they basically they took a throw off (laughs) a fast throw off and the you're going line player absolutely chucked the ball from the halfway line to what he thought was an empty goal, but actually the goalkeeper was already pretty much there. But it didn't reach the goal. It reached the head of a German player, and everyone was very confused. So I'm looking forward to Uruguay playing just for the fun of it. They've sent a couple more players to Europe since that experience. Uh, I think it's it's a fairly similar team, uh, all of them playing for two or three clubs in Uruguay. Um, a couple more guys playing in Spain. And uh, a young line player, just 20 years of age, uh, Zion Ramos, playing in Malmö in Sweden. So, yeah, so he'll be right at home, up the road in Gothenburg. Uh, But, yeah, I have a feeling they're going to... um, They're going to be at their level this time, which is the President's Cup. And uh, Cape Verde, who have 10 players playing in Portugal at the moment, finally have a chance to, to show what they're made of. Uh, get revenge against Uruguay. Uh, they have Lubomir Obradovic as the coach, who uh, we might remember from being the Serbian women's coach most recently. But he also had a, a spell, six-year spell, as Porto coach between uh, 2009 and 2015. So I'm guessing he speaks Portuguese, which would be quite important, I think, for this team. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to see what they do. I Actually, I, I watched a bit of uh, Cape Verde uh, against Austria. Uh, be, uh, in one of the warm-up games, and they looked kind of they looked exciting. They they have 
some exciting players. They're very dynamic. Um, obviously, Leandro Semedo is the player to watch out for, who's had a pretty good season in Benfica. Um, but I fear for their defense. It they um, they end up losing, I think, by five goals and conceding thirty-seven against Austria. Even though the game was very close, they they played quite well. Um, but the the overall structure and kind of communication was just a level down from their attacking capability and their kind of personal skill level, which I think is kind of good enough to do something even in the main round, you know, to cause some headaches for the bigger teams. But defensively, they just looked a bit of a mess. So maybe that kind of gathers as the tournament nears and they have a lot more training and they had the test matches and they have the right players playing, that can change. But it's it's just one thing that... You know, I have as much hype for Cape Verde as Rasmus Boysen's, but uh, uh, I think there is just they're not quite there. They're not well, I think they have. They have, like you said, they have time to to get into it, and I think the series of games for them is perfect because they have Uruguay first. They're expected to win that. They'll probably win it. Sweden next. They're not expecting anything, and then Brazil could be where they pull off something big, like uh, like you've been mentioning. Uh, and having them third could be really good uh, for them assuming that uh, they all stay fit and uh, no more COVID uh, let's do one more group before we finish up this episode we'll do group D and uh, Chris Jansand uh, Iceland Portugal Hungary and South Korea I think everyone's yeah, baby. dark dark horse of the whole tournament and it seems to be that everyone's talking to them on Twitter is this is Iceland's real chance to I'd say probably minimum get a medal, um, maximum maybe get to the final at least. Yeah. What do you guys think? Would you be on that bandwagon or no? Is there, is there a bit too much hype for Iceland? That's that's what I'm trying. I'm feeling at the moment. Maybe that's just uh, Twitter talking, but uh, I I feel a bit of uh, uh, like we're running away. Yeah. With well, it. that's the thing. I I was feeling very hyped until I did my like looking at the path to the semi-finals for each of the teams. And the the stark reality of it for Iceland is that in order to get to the semi-final, they're going to have to beat either Sweden or Denmark. <laughs> they're almost 100% going to have to beat one of those teams because if they finish second in the main round, Denmark are waiting in the quarterfinal, probably. So, well, you got to beat the best to be the best. And uh, that's going to be put to the test. Yeah, they're not scared. They have a lot of fans going over to the championship and the hype in the country is really, really, really building. Well, they have nothing else to live for. <laughs> so this is this is this that is, is that is very hard you know you know I but it's, it's no no it, we, what, what brian mentioned before about january being a miserable time of the year otherwise just imagine what it's like to be living in iceland in january iceland mo- most of the time oh no way but in january <laughs> there's there's a reason why this there's big hype and everyone really is super invested in this team uh but they like starting seven perhaps some of the like the combination of those players the most informed starting seven in the world perhaps at club level it's it's very good i would still say that 
No, but it's just when you say the full starting seven and when you say the full starting seven, Aaron Palmerson is part of that starting seven. And just this, it's a classic, you know, we've talked about for many years, which Aaron Palmerson is going to show up. Is he going to have the drive? I think, you know, this is his almost farewell tour, potentially. He's going to, you know, he's going back to Iceland. He's kind of stopping handball at the highest level after this season. And this is his big opportunity, his golden generation, his chance to win um, a championship or a medal. And if that's not enough to drive him, then, you know, the, there's nothing that can drive him. An interesting statistic about this, the players who have played the most games in 2022. Second, in second place, uh, Magnusson, and in third place, Christiansen. So two Icelanders there in the top three of the most most games played in 2022 is uh, is quite uh, is quite incredible. So their in form aspect then does reflect there. I think. Who's the number one? Magnusson and Christiansen. You said is two and three. Uh, Kai Smith is number one. Ah, Kai Smith's okay. It's all just Magdeburg players. Yeah. <laughs> okay. just. But I think it's Christiansen who is the big revelation. He's the player who's grown into something absolutely special. We've seen Magnussen go up a level as well. And I think the criticism for Iceland over the last couple of championships has always been that they're they're always good enough. They're always right there. But they end up just losing, you know, 33-32. Now, how many times have we seen Iceland just have a game that slipped out of their hands? It, it, it just, it's just constantly happened over the last couple of years. Hey, hey, know. hey, hey, mister, living in Denmark. Remember what happened last year? It was Denmark throwing the game against France, which knocked them out of the semifinals. <laughs> <laughs> which created such a national uh, fiasco that people were calling for Danish to no longer be taught in school in Iceland. <laughs> An already rocky relationship was uh, further fractured by Denmark throwing that game uh, by playing the B team. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think uh, I probably, yeah. In, in, t- in 2022, they, they did, they took a step forward um, and we're good enough. I probably I talk about the last kind of the couple of years before that when so the the type of player like Chris Janssen was just too young. He wasn't there to kind of lead them. And I think the key being here that it's not just those younger players growing up like Hal Grimson, Chris Janssen and becoming absolute kind of mainstays. It's also Magnussen becoming a superstar going from a very very good player to a player who can just win a game for them and having that player is going to be absolutely crucial for their hopes of getting to the um highest levels but it's it's a great group it's the classic group how many iceland um portugal, portugal games have we seen yeah it feels like they're playing every single tournament they've drawn into <laughs> <laughs> and it's great handball we we love to see it uh hungary in there as well south korea a, a decent team so i think for me this is the most exciting group and it's straight away a real challenge for iceland uh, they're not the kind of clear runaway winners in, in a group where you know swap them with sweden and iceland are going to be just chilling for a couple of um days before they enter the main round iceland are going to have to work from day one and i think portugal can definitely put it up to them 
hungry are yeah, they always have a, an upset in them so it's it's not all clear from this group for them to you know just progress all the way through Brian Alex mentioned there Palmerson whether it's you know which one is going to show up and this being potentially his last great chance which Palmerson do you think we'll see for I I don't know why it is but I find it, I find it hard to imagine we're going to see him and come along and absolutely tear it up I think he'll have a decent tournament I mean pretty much like he did at the last at the last Euro it was nothing too nothing too groundbreaking but I I, I don't know he's a strange. He's a strange type of player sometimes that he can really coast a tournament. And it's, I don't know, I find him a little bit frustrating personally because I feel like <laughs> he's a player that could have done so much more in a way and he kind of always seems to just coast it when he can and then starts playing when they're 10-0 down, you know, or so. I don't know. It's, mm. uh, but I think what they don't need, uh, as I was saying, kind of with, with Magnussen taking up that leadership role and Chris Janssen, they don't need Palmerson to be 11-goal Palmerson. They need him to be Barcelona Palmerson, the guy who shows up in the final four and gets you five goals when you really, really need them. And that's that's the version that they need, and I think that version can show up. Not not the Alborg uh, Palmerson that we've seen at certain times of the season. <laughs> Maybe not Alborg Where Palmerson. sometimes he's on the court, you're like, they were playing much better when he's on the bench, and then he comes back on the court again, you're like, oh... Yeah, don't know what quite what quite's going on there, but mm. a few times I did see them live. It did look a little bit like that to me. Yeah, let's just say Albor were pretty fine with uh, ending his contract early and sending him to Iceland. Halgrimson is fit, which is huge. Uh, I think because that was a, a worry pre-championship, but he played in the test matches against Germany. Only four players over the age of thirty in that Iceland team, which I think says a lot. Uh, and two of those players are Palmerson and uh, Bjarki Marielison. And uh, every Icelandic player I've seen over the last year that's in that team has just looked really, really solid. Like the players that are going to be the backups in this squad had a huge amount of playing time at the Euro last year. So yeah, everything I think is is looking great. And I think the Christiansen Magnussen uh, pairing, them playing club handball together and looking so so good together, that's going to have a big impact. I think in the uh, in the championship Portugal Paulo Pereira can he do something to eliminate the horrendous club form that all of the players are currently enduring every single one (laughs) except for the Costa brothers of course who are lighting it up people on on Twitter and the handball community who are quite are the neutral handball community anybody I love to get behind Portugal and we've been behind them for a long time but I think maybe they're wallowing in the demise of Portuguese club handball a little bit too much I think and when you look at this squad here I don't see it when you look just at the quality of the players that they have in, in their squad like said Cavalcanti as well who's playing very well at club level you have Borges I mean I don't know what kind of form Rui Silva's in at the moment um, it'd be interesting to see that against Brazil he was great today so mm. yeah <laughs> He's, he was very poor he's been very poor for Porto yeah. mm. this year yeah, and he's, I think, probably one of the biggest reasons why Porto have, because everything goes through Rui Silva. Um, he was, uh, as he said, good against uh, Brazil. But um, the they had a, some injury news as well with uh, Joe Farage uh, missing the tournament. And you might laugh at that. You might say, oh, <laughs> no, it's, it's Farage, what, what's that going to do? But what that does is leave 
a 17-year-old Francisco Costa. 17-year-old. He was born in 2005. Mm. This, he is a child with all the pressure of being the right back. They have Diogo Silva behind him as well, um, who's been kind of a bit of a disappointment from from his kind of early rise. Farage is just that steadying force where you're like, okay, Kiko, you're, you're, you're there to really light it up, but there's a big burly shooter behind you to, to give you some space and time to think when things go wrong because things are going to go wrong for him but i i think from what i saw in the the test matches in norway they they didn't overuse him you know against brazil he came on in the early in the second half and and then played really well they are very good at seven v six as well and miguel martins will probably play a lot at right back right back for the team so they oh, can yeah. And, and Miguel, Miguel Martins. <laughs> Miguel Martins is gonna he's gonna produce. I, I could feel it. I could he's feel it. He's gonna produce one from four. No, yeah, come on. on. For the national team, I think Martins is uh is a different a different player. He's gonna be freed from the burden of uh, <laughs> playing for Big Seged. And uh <laughs> but I think that's the key thing for all of these players. And uh, like just like finding the 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 bit of magic that made portuguese handball so special in the last couple of years and made us all fall in love with it i think the costa brothers add a new kind of dimension to that and it's going to freshen the team up which i think already last year we said that they needed uh to be freshened up and i think they have that now with uh with the two boys coming in the team their woes at right back i think could have been a lot worse i mean their last game against brazil i think it was where kiko costa looked like he almost broke his wrist and he was down on the mm-hmm. floor for quite a long time but luckily he played on the rest of that game so i think he's uh, well, i hope he is fine because otherwise their backcourt situation gets pretty dire but yeah i mean you said there alex that he's a child but God, he's a good child. So, I mean, if you're going to... He is, he is the best child I've ever seen. He's the, he's, the best, he's the best handball child of the last 10, 15 years. So if there's any child you're going to put out there, he's the child yeah. you want. Yeah, I'm going to stop saying child now. Okay. <laughs> but also just one underrated player, I think, for Portugal. And he's been kind of in the background quite a lot. But it is your favorite, Chris O'Reilly. Cavalcanti. Alexandre Cavalcanti. Alexandre Cavalcanti. <laughs> uh, he's, yeah. been, he's been fantastic for not. He's been a real... And I don't know, for some reason in my head, I had Cavalcanti as a older player. And just kind of in the Jao Farage mold. For, I don't know why. I don't know why I had him there uh, in my mind. But he's 26 years old. He's uh, just coming into his prime. He's been fantastic for Nantes. He's a really good defender, and I think um, he can balance out the uh, fieriness of Andre Gomes, uh, the kind of insanity and dynamism that he brings that we all love to see. Uh, but having that balance also works really well. I'm, I was just literally going to say, I can't believe we haven't mentioned Andre Gomes yet, uh, and then you, you brought it in. Uh, a player who is beginning to light it up at Bundesliga level as well. So they, they have a lot of good left backs, you know, uh, Magalhaes as well, uh, Martin Costa, Cavalcanti and, uh, and Andre Gomes. That's a lot of, uh, a lot of different looks to bring in there. So they're, re- and, you know, they could put someone, someone in the center as well 
So they're not over-relying on the speed and, and trickery of Silva and Martins like they did a couple of years ago. When you watch them, Chris, in those warm-up matches, um, were they still, let's say, the same Portugal uh, in terms of playing a lot of 7-6 and six and slowing down the ball? Or have they uh, kind of evolved a little bit? I think they've evolved, and I think they purposefully tried to avoid kind of the the way they approached uh the game in the last last few years they've tried to mix it up quite a bit it was hard to they never from what i saw they were never really the same team for like one half onto the next they mix it up an awful lot um i sent a message into our whatsapp group as well paulo Pereira, for the second and third game so after they had the first game against Norway, which was a little bit disappointing. They lost that one pretty comfortably. He, for the second and third game, was sitting up in the stands and had his uh, AirPod in and talking to the assistant coach who was then managing things on the sidelines. So he really saw this as some kind of, you know, uh, learning exercise. He wanted to see his team from above and uh, this was his chance to do it. So I think that it was very much about experimentation. They... After they lost that game against Norway, they realized they were going to beat USA. They were going to beat Brazil. So let's test things out, um, which is probably for the best for them. Uh, so yeah, from what I saw, it was uh, it wasn't wasn't great by any means, but everyone got a run out, and uh, I think it'll put them in good stead for this very tough preliminary round. What about Hungary then? We were talking about a very familiar group of Iceland and Portugal. Yeah. Stream, but it has to be Hungary in there as well. Those three yeah. teams just seem like they're always kind of rubbing shoulders at these final events. Absolutely. And actually, this this year, I think, again, Hungary shot for the their home championship and tried to get a generation shift and seemed to have missed a little bit. Um, they obviously performed horrifically in that uh, uh, European Championship where they failed to make it to the main round, um, which was an absolute disaster for everyone involved. Um, and it's pretty much the same team without their best player. So actually, I don't know, I, I was I was looking at Hungary um, and thinking, okay, they're, they're still going to be... Who's their best player is missing? Dominic Mate, of course, yep. the, being their best player. The right back who's been... Um, moved to PSG but um, hasn't played this season after tearing a crucial ligament uh, so they don't have him and looking at the squad it's just there's there's a lot of familiar pl- faces and yeah, it, it doesn't it it doesn't bring me too much joy I'm going to say that it just it doesn't bring me joy <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard to imagine that this team were like, they were fifth at the last World Championship. Like, they were this close to beating, was it a France in the quarterfinal? But yeah, I don't know where the magic is going to come from from this team. I think. Yeah, that's just like, they, they're just so boring. Yeah, but this could be great. This could be, it was such a disaster last year. There's no expectation, I think, this time around. And I feel like, just like with the women's team, this is when best Hungary is going to come out when there's nobody expects or anticipates anything from them this is when they could really come good because the players in the squad are still like they're all solid players they've most of them have had experience uh, either in the Champions League or in uh, in Bundesliga so most of them not all of them but like 
the players who were going to play. So why not? <laughs> Hungry? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you when you said there, Alex, about like the players, they kind of they're quite boring. Maybe lack a bit of flair. And it is so strange then that their coach is Chema Rodriguez, a player who was just flair and nothing else really. Like you know, and he was Mister yeah. Mister Basketball Man, and it's it's such an unusual matchup. But maybe they do need a like a coach like that to try and inspire them to I don't know develop more flair in their game and stuff like that. But I do agree with you. You look at the squad and it's kind of like it makes me tired looking at it almost. And it, it's <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's all just solid. <laughs> big dudes how good very good european league players to yeah. standard champions league players and i think someone like benson benhidi has been a bit off the boil as well for the past while past while and he when he plays well they are a, a bit more of a threat but he would need to maybe rediscover his his inner dragon or inner, inner fire in some way to to kind of create a massive threat from that in that, that central part of the court at least mate leco is still going so that's that's one bit of you know bit of flair in there true, and true. uh solid european league players can also get the job done so let's see and of course our favorite brutal man adrian Shiposh. so if if you are new to this podcast or don't know what we're talking about just watch hungry and watch their line player adrian Shiposh. just beat people up and we'll have a, an award dedicated to him later <laughs> exactly korea South Korea, uh, from what I saw, eight players in the team who've never played international handball before. Uh, so very, very similar to the, the student team they sent two years ago. They're exciting. That usually, uh, they're going to lose all of these games, but they're probably going to score 30 goals in each of them. Sounds about right. Absolutely no idea what to expect. You know, can't re- really even trust the team that's going to show up. You know, well, whatever data you're going off, Chris... That might all change and an under-23 team might show up in the end. They finished fifth in the Asian Championship. Obviously, South Korea always treat handball as an Olympic sport. And we're getting into the crux of the Olympic cycle. So, you know, you do expect this team to be kind of there and thereabouts in their development. So maybe they can cause some surprises, but it's impossible to know. They lost to Saudi Arabia. Uh, in 2022 in the <clears throat> in the Asian Championship and finished fifth so we hope they've improved since then uh, and, and bearing in mind that was an Asian Championship which and a big team we're missing from this championship is Japan because they mm. due to COVID couldn't play in the Asian Championship and therefore haven't qualified for this um, South Korea have a Portuguese coach uh, Roland Freitas so uh, an Iberian flair in terms of the coaching Two Portuguese, uh, one Spaniard, and Goodmunder Goodmanson. <laughs> Any thoughts on South Korea, Brian? Ah, just look out for the right winger, Kim Jin Young. Uh, plays for Adam Early Leon, 22-year-old, probably the most notable player in their squad. Apart from that, I think just uh, just enjoy it, boys, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're listening... <laughs> <laughs> Go out there uh, and enjoy yourselves. Go out there and enjoy yourselves. Uh, <laughs> all right, we'll wrap it up uh, for part one of our massive pre-World Championship podcast. We'll be back with part two very shortly. We're going to record it 
right now, in fact. So see you on the other side. And do remember, Patreon. Uninformed Handball Hour at patreon.com. Go there, join us. Uh, and if you enjoyed this podcast, you'll really enjoy being a member of that beautiful handball community of nerds and fans. Goodbye. Goodbye.